Hey there, my name is Lars van Vegan, welcoming you to the Burnout Power podcast. The show where you will get inspired from people all over the world who not only recovered from burnout, but also grew more powerful afterwards. You will get encouraging stories, insights and actionable tips to move you away from your burnout history into a stable and powerful life. Let me know what you think via Lars at burnoutpower.com. In today's episode, our guest is Greg Leslie from Canada, who's done inspiring things after recovering from burnout. As a highly engaged social worker, he experienced very stressful situations in his community, eventually leading to burnout. Greg learned the importance of self-care and founded the Educare Self-Care Studio, providing counseling and personal fitness training, helping you create a self-care centered and healthy lifestyle. Hi, Greg. Welcome. Very nice to have you on our show today. Thank you. Good morning. And hello, audience and all the people listening to this interview. Greg, are you ready to share your insights with us? I definitely am. Excited and uh, open to share my insight with you and your audience. Cool. So let's dive right in, as our listeners can't wait to hear your powerful stories. To start it off easy, Greg, I learned you're really into jogging and working out. But not like the most of us, like exercising once or twice a week. You created a daily routine for this and um, how does this secret weapon of yours help you prevent stress or another burnout like for me one of the things that i've learned throughout this process because i think even once you get over your burnout i think there's a big part of maintaining an, a healthy lifestyle so for me my regiment um, was working out actually seven days a week and what it looks like is i start my day out by jogging i do not answer my cell phone so I spend the first 40 minutes of my day exercising in the way of jogging and then coming. So I jog for about 30 minutes. And once that's done, I do about 20 minutes or so just of resistance exercise. And then throughout that process of just calming down after my workout, just spend some time with some mindful thinking. Following that, I go into um, starting my day. That's a good routine. And that's all done before you get to work, actually. Yes, so I'm lucky now. I currently run my own private practice to educate ourselves to self-care studio. So for me, one of the things, my mantra for my work is healthy mind, healthy body, happier you. So for me, I really believe in teaching and modeling behavior. So as you stated, just being able to help people understand you have to give back to self before you can give back to the world. And in the work that I do as a social worker, I work with people who are survivors and victims of trauma. So my work and the stories and the narratives I get are really heavy. So for myself, I try to curate and prepare uh, myself for the things that I'll hear, the story that I'll hear, to be a good reflection for the people in regards to asking them, you know, how do I manage my own health? How do I cope? How do I deal with some of these things that are heavy that will never go away? And within the work that I do, I talk to a lot of my clients about grief and loss. So one of this, the last stage of grief and loss, actually acceptance. And so for some people, based on the trauma they face through the violence of probably losing a loved one, they sometimes do not get over that. Because sometimes their loved one was taken away from them violently. So it's hard for them to ever accept that their life will be well again. So I try to help them understand, prepare your body for the stress that you're going to continue to face in life. And sometimes some of what you've gone through, you're going to have reminders of that, whether it's a flashback, a dream, 
a smell, a sight, something that, you know, just kind of triggers that memory. So for me, I really try to fortify myself in the way of just being as healthy as I can physically so I can under, so I can maintain and balance the psychological and emotional stress in my life. I think that's a very, a very good choice you've made. Is it difficult for you to, to maintain that routine? Sometimes, yes, because I would say life happens where you may have to start the day a little earlier. So even if I start the day earlier and I cannot get into my workout regimen, I find sometimes in my day, so for example, I'm lucky to be able to make my schedule. So my schedule in every day is always imparted with self-care. So for example, if I have sessions in the morning that last for three hours, during my lunch, I'll do my workout. If it's something that I can't do during my lunch, then I find some time throughout my day to do it. Because a big part of self-care is for you, by you, and when you can do it. So for me, I look at it as a part of my uniform life. So for example, we all have to work. And that's the uniform you put on to go into that task. So for me, giving back to the body in the way that I eat healthy, exercising, mindful thinking, it's a big part of my life to be able to disseminate all other parts of my life. Yeah, and we'll definitely dive into the self-care practice and how people can integrate that in their life. But let me step a little bit back because I'm curious about your burnout. You can experience a variety of crashes during your burnout. Could you tell us a story of your most laughable, most ridiculous crash moment during your burnout? I think for me, it's it was just the awareness. Because I think for me, uh, being a social worker, we're supposed to be there for our clients. I think they believe in some instances, like we don't go through burnout. We're like infallible, like nothing will ever happen to us because we're so strong. We're able to provide such insight into what they're going through. So just not being able to be aware of it. And then the people that I worked with at the time were just like, Greg, you're different. You're not the same person that you've always been. So I think for me, that wasn't necessarily laughable. I think I tried to put on this facade and like nothing was wrong. Mm. And the more that uh, they were able to recognize, nah, you should probably take some time off because like the whole business that in work became difficult. It became something that I had to be more aware of. And as one of my seven things that I talk about, in regards to recognizing your burnout. For me, the most difficult was awareness because I did not want to be labeled because of my own stigma of having to sit in the in the chair with a psychologist and, and say, hey, Greg, you know, you actually have a classic case of burnout based on the transference that you felt. So for me, it's just being honest to yourself. And I think I was not honest to myself based on some of the things that were happening to my community. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, the audience may not know I lived, I lived in the community that I worked in for a long time. And I think for me, I wanted to be a beacon and a light in the community because of my education and my experience. But not knowing that those said things of being so close to the community was what led to my inevitable burnout. You mentioned the uh, psychologist was, so many burnout people try a lot of methods or therapies to recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned the psychologist. Was that also the most in the end, although maybe you didn't want to go there, but was that in the end the most beneficial therapy for you? Uh, yes. To answer the, the question blankly, yes, because that process, as I mentioned, helped me because I was able to be the client. And for a lot of my experiences, I was a practitioner, a professional. So being able to sit in the other chair and have some empathy on my own self was quite, quite reassuring at the end because it helped me to realize oh my God, like 
I should see a psychologist maybe even once a month. And I think a part of recovering from self-care talks about having a good support system. But not only people, friends and family, but also a professional. And for me, that was the most difficult part because I was afraid of stigmas, afraid of being labeled. Like, for example, I didn't want to be labeled, oh my God, you know, you're, you have a chronic stress, you have chronic depression, you have chronic burnout. So for me, facing the label was the hardest part, but then also understanding and being diagnosed was the most important part because it helped me to realize I needed to live my life differently. So very helpful in the end, but very difficult for you to, to accept at, at the beginning, to be on the other end of the chair. 100%. 100%. Yeah. But through that process, it, it made me more aware of, because I think it's just like sometimes we go to the doctor and then waiting those three, three or two days or maybe even a week for them to say, this is wrong. I think for me, led to more stress having to wait, come back for him, for, for the doctor to say, like, this is what's wrong. So for me, just being able to realize, you know what, knowing is half the battle and being able to understand I needed to administer some healthy practice into my life. I couldn't just, I think one of the things that I should, that I learned was the professional and the personal really do impact and they collide. Like we believe, you know, we leave everything at home once we get into our office. But for me, I realized that's very much a part of us and we're led to be professional and put on this professional lens and act like nothing else is happening in life, but I realized that was not true, and I realized that the personal does impact the professional, and the professional does impact the personal. So being able to learn these lessons were valuable for me in being able to administer it to my client, to myself, and to those that now come to me when they face their own burnout and own unhealthy habits, which is why for me, now I say self-care is a part of everything, and self-care is an umbrella for every domain in your life. So for me, developing and creating a practice that focuses on that really was meant a lot to me and it was easy for me to really carry that out in my work like my education and really i think one of the greatest things that helped me through my brown process was reading a book by bonnie ware which is called um, the, the top five regrets of the dying that really helped me because it helped me to realize that there are regrets that we have in life that you never know and I think the top regret is not living a life of our own, not being able to say I love you. So just be able to understand these things really helped me to administer care in my life and then going back to school and reading books from Norma Jean Prophet, which is a person that focuses on self-care, has really helped me to realize to take care of ourselves, especially in the healthy profession where we're helping and administering care to people especially when people are entrusting on us to give them answers. And especially when we have to realize that transference is a serious thing. We become the sponge of people's problems. So those do impact us. We are emotional beings. And sometimes we may not be ourselves to realize that we are being impacted for some of the things that we hear through transference, through transference, through compassion fatigue. And for me, just being able to realize that I am impacted was reassuring because that led me to be, again, I don't want to beat the word awareness out, but just be more aware that we are impacted by that people say to us and we need to find an outlet within ourselves. And so for me, finding the outlet through my education, finding the outlet through my experience was helpful in understanding that, you know, there's things happening in our body when we're told and provided certain other information.
So these two books, the top five regrets of the dying and who cares for us, right? These two books, those are the two that you'd, you'd recommend reading for people recovering from burnout. Absolutely. Because sometimes we don't realize, like, for example, when I learned from where a lot of us take on this identity where we choose a career, like our, maybe our parents and our family wanted us to be a lawyer or a doctor, but we wanted to be a musician. And we mm -hmm. did not realize, you know what, that was a path to us. So one of the things that I teach individuals, just in understanding that, that concept is that maybe, you know, you were a lawyer or a doctor and that was a life that you did not want to participate. But then you realize, you know what, being a musician or participating in poetry was more fulfilling. What I teach people to do is implement their love for what they want to do. And maybe at some point in their life, that could be the thing that carry out their career. So using that also maybe as a coping mechanism, because that's maybe the one thing that makes you feel so good that you don't realize. Um, and, and another big thing that uh, Bonnie Ware talks about is just working too hard. And I think that really feeds into burnout, because I think a lot of us work from the place of being responsible, because we have to take care of our family, we have to take care of quality, ongoing responsibility. And if we don't, life falls apart. And I think sometimes we set into that sets into the hopelessness, the difficultiness that we face in going to work and not being that flame not being lit in the job that we do anymore. And again, not mm -hmm. being aware that, you know what, I don't feel so good about going to work. It's just more difficult. Like I'm dragging myself. So it's just some of those emotions that you feel that because of your responsibility you tend to ignore because you know the rent still has to be paid. You still have to put food on the table. You still have to take care of your personal needs. And when those things are impacted, then all else things go. And you believe that you don't have any choices. So just being able to have a life where you understand that you do have choices. And you know, it is obvious that you do have to go to work. But living a life where you create a part-time life, where maybe the part-time life that you're living becomes your mainstream life. Me, I left a very sustainable career in social work to start my to start a private practice. And for the first two years of being an entrepreneur, that was difficult. However, with the support mm -hmm. that I had and the believability of what I was doing for the people that I was serving um, made me continue to do it. And it landed me three big contracts after three years to very sustainable. Some of the things that helped me through that process was just having a very supportive spouse that was willing to support me for one year specifically that led to the success of the business, and also a family member through a cousin who works in policies and procedures in the government that helped me to kind of develop a healthy platform. Again, that goes back to understanding what you want. So for me, I didn't want to live a life where at the end of my life that I hated my job and this was one of my regrets. So for me now, I turned the mantra into the top five regrets into lessons learned. So no regrets, lessons learned would be my mantra. Right? So we obviously have to go through life, but it's basically what is our perspective and how do we manage that? Um, so for me, uh, I was able to make some healthy choices based on, I would say, a chapter of my life and realizing, you know what, I wanted to live a life of my own that made sense to me and made sense to the people that I wanted to serve. And I wanted to truly be happy because I realized that happy is a, like there's a pursuit in happiness. And for me, this was one of the things that I learned. I wanted to be happy by the end of my life. And I think for me, Participating in self-care and my own practice leads me to be able to have far more control of my life than I did when I worked nine to five. 
And again, obviously, this may not be the answers for everybody. But for me, I was able to sustain answers in my life to developing a practice and to being able to administer exercise and healthy eating and just a way of life uh, that I want to model through my practice that I'm able to disseminate through my clients and just to seriously become healthy for them. And then they're just able to kind of look at me like, oh my God, you did it. And I think one of the things that I've learned through Marcus Garvey is others have done it, so can you. So just really a lot of healthy lessons to continue to read and to um, do life experience. Yeah, I like the lessons learned from the dying. The uh, But if feelings of stress or burnout surface again, what are the first few actions you take then? I think for me, after, to be very transparent again, after going through burnout, which um, now has been a long time, I, off, I developed some anxiety over the last year. Um, that mm-hmm. For me, again, those were similar symptoms to what I felt when I was going through burnout, just not really mm-hmm. feeling well in myself, knowing that for no reason. So just being able to, again, that mindfulness, so just really realizing that sometimes some symptoms of um, poor health mimic uh, mimic each other. So being able to understand anxiety through my um, practice as a social worker, that helps. So every year I actually do um, a physical. So this year I actually did an extensive physical, which was helpful for me to understand. Of my anxiety was just more mental and stress-related. I did a heart test, which was able to help, able to help me that understand that my heart was healthy based on the cardio that I participate in. And I did some stuff around examining my stomach. So then I learned my liver, my kidney, and my prostate was healthy. So that helped me to overcome my anxiety in regards to um, not having poor health and just understanding that I needed some time to quiet my mind. Because I believe as, a, as an entrepreneur, we take on all the hats of being an entrepreneur. So I didn't realize that I was taking on so much stress as a result of that. So just being able to manage my job as an entrepreneur in a responsible way and just being able to take time out, which is something that I forgot because, again, being an entrepreneur is go, go, go. I have to do my accounting. I have to do my marketing. I have to see my clients face-to-face. I have to create and prepare for the following day. So just being able to understand that um, I needed more downtime, I needed to kind of create systemic structure that made sense. And sometimes just really walking away from the work and then having, what I would say as an entrepreneur, we work seven days because we always believe we have something. So just being able to realistically take take, take some weekends off. And so just being able to yeah. manage uh, my stress in a more comprehensive way through understanding some of the symptoms that I was going through. If I had a client, for example, that their stories was heavy and the trauma that they were facing is heavy, not necessarily having three or four clients in that day that their stories were going to impact me. So kind of spacing those things out. So just understanding that vicarious trauma and how we take that on sometimes. So just really having best practices approaches was helpful for me um, in managing my anxiety. And then continuing to to exercise in a more comprehensive way, just doing things that uh, made sense. Yeah, I think... It's very good that you recognize the symptoms and that you uh, take action immediately. But it's sometimes you, it takes a while to recognize it again that it's coming back to you that you're making similar mistakes as in the past. And um, so there's a huge risk of fallback in this period, ending with a, th- a second or third burnout. 
So you you've experienced this, these problems also in that crucial time after recovery. Definitely, um, definitely. Is, yeah. So sorry, I would say yeah. one of the things that was helpful in that is through there's a harm reduction approach which talks about um, the stages of readiness and the stages of change. And I think that was helpful for me. And I think you kind of mentioned that because the stages of change really talks about contemplation, pre-contemplation, act, action, and then maintenance, and then relapse. And relapse is something that we may not share and talk about as much as we can, because even in our day-to-day regimen, we do relapse and take on maybe some of those negative health approaches, or maybe not understand some of those symptoms that, as you, as you mentioned, that do come back. So I would say I did relapse in the way of not understanding that I was not managing my health well. And as soon as I did, I went back into some of the best practices that helped me throughout the burnout. So sometimes we do need a reminder, and I think life is good at doing that. Yeah, you sort of have, have to create evaluation points somewhere in your life, right? So that every every month you have you, you do sort of a, a check on yourself, how everything's going on, on every aspect of your life, just to be sure that it's not just creeping back from... Uh, from an unknown place it's true it's definitely true after recovery it's also the decisions you take that shape your post burnout life what was your best decision that initiated your journey from being the ex-burnout patient left behind with a mental scar and weaker energy to someone who grew stronger and more powerful than ever so what was your best decision asking for help <laughs> i think for mm. me um again <laughs> i I think I try to solve a lot of problems alone. And I think I sometimes wait until it gets to the point of not getting support to ask for it. And I think I had to develop humility. I had to develop um, just being far more humble and understanding that no individual is an island and being able to ask for support. And I think that goes back to the awareness piece. So asking for help for me, I would say, was the biggest struggle. Like, you know, talking to my partner, sharing what I was going through with my family, sharing what I was going through with some of my personal friends. Um, and then obviously going back to going to psychologist to help him to understand. Because when I was initially going through my burnout, based on some of the things that I was going through at work, my co-worker said, you need a time off. But I felt like, oh, I'm going to take time off. That's going to make me look weak, like I can't do my job. And it's going to make it seem like maybe Greg is not able to do this and he's just always going to go to this point where he's going to need time off um, off, off work i think for me yeah. it was helpful and i think i worked for a good agency which helped me to make the decision where it's just like right you're not 100 you should take some time off and what they suggested to me was to see the psychologist for three or four sessions and see what he says so that their encouragement in asking for help was helpful because i did do that and once i did that The psychologist helped me to see things that I did not see because I would say I was somewhat jaded from believing that I needed support. And when he was able to articulate that to me in a way that made sense to me, he said, you should take, you know, um, two or three months off of work. How did you feel after asking help? I felt amazing. I was just, and that led me to understanding some of the practices in work, which for a lot of people, At work, they may not take lunch. And if they do take lunch, they eat lunch at their desk. And I think for me now within my self-care practice, I would say to people, literally separate yourself from your desk even for 15 minutes to a half an hour where you're not doing work, you're not at your computer, you're not at your station doing what you normally do. 
you're not eating and typing. You're literally eating and you're focusing on eating and just being mindful of chewing, swallowing, and enjoying your food versus, you know, taking a bite, typing, taking a bite, typing. So just really taking time out is really important for me. And that goes as far as taking holidays and taking vacation and using um, using your time when you're sick. Don't be afraid to call in. One of the things that I believe that every workplace should administer is a lot of companies offer sick days, but a lot of employees don't take them. And I think one of the things they should implement is just being able to call and say, I'm going to take a mental health day. I just don't feel like coming in. I'm not my 100%. Mm-hmm. I just want to take a day to myself, whether it be sitting in front of the TV, going for a walk, doing whatever you want to do when you take that day off. But I think for a lot of workplaces, if you're not calling to say, I'm sick, if you're not sniffling and seasoning, your integrity is questioned. Oh, what's wrong with you? You know, so I think just being able to, to take time off is probably one of the most useful things because sometimes I think we run on low energy. And I think just like a car, if I could give that metaphor, we run out of gas. And I think sometimes we need to take time to refuel. But the greatest thing yeah. that helps our life is energy currency. And I think I kind of developed that word through being a personal trainer, just being able to have a proper diet. Yeah, could you elaborate on that? <laughs> energy currency. Energy currency is really about like what are the things that deplete our energy. Some of those things that deplete our energy are our stress and not eating properly, not sleeping properly, and taking on too much. So just being able to understand like while these things are happening, we need to take time to refuel. And some of that refueling is counterbalancing those things, eating properly, sleeping properly, turning off your phone. Um, so that you're not disturbed by the ping and the pongs. So, so just being able to have a diet where you understand like eating, you know, if you, for example, what I tell my clients is a lot of people I know don't eat breakfast, but they'll start their day probably having some tea and so that they're able to kind of wake up. What I say to them, like McDonald's offers breakfast every day, so let your first meal still be breakfast. If you're eating your breakfast at 11, 12 o'clock, it's fine. Because then maybe if you're still now, you've had your breakfast, you can still have your lunch at 3 or 4 o'clock. And then you're still able now to have your dinner at you know, 6, 7 o'clock, which now gives you the opportunity of being more balanced and having to develop that energy currency. So just finding ways to be able to manage your health, because a lot of people figure that, well, I skip breakfast, let me just go on to my lunch. No, you can still have your breakfast and manage your day based on how many hours you're awake and spread that out so that you're able to have your square meals and perhaps a few snacks in that time. Helping your body develop how to eat because if your body learns how to eat those three square meals and you're imparting and having them, your body gets used to eating. And when your body gets used to eating, say for example, you were having your breakfast at 12, now your body is used to eating three square meals, you're probably able to eat a little earlier. So now you're waking up a little earlier and you're spending time to be efficient around your energy, energy currency. So this, again, best practices for yourself. And I think that best practice is a word that I develop just in regards to understanding our own self-care. Because again, self-care is by you, for you, and it's depending on how you manage that, right? So I think that's really important. Yeah, so, and from the all the knowledge you've gained on self-care and routines and best practices you've gathered, you've created the 
your own studio. Could you tell us a bit a bit more about what you do for for the people that come to you? What you can do with uh, for them on self care? For me, as, as I mentioned, uh, the name of my studio is Educare Self Care Studio. My past educational history is I have a background in sociology. I have a background in community work, and then most recently, I have a bachelor's in social work. So that would be my educational practice. But in my work, in my career path, I work, I focus my work on working with individuals who have had mental health or substance abuse issues. So a lot of my work for 12 years is working with clients who have first episode of psychosis, which is like first episode of mental health, working through educational system and working with the hospitals and in the community and working with them to understand their diagnosis and then working with them to be stable. That practice, I was able to work with these clients. And then I actually worked in a community that was um, faced a lot of marginalization to poverty and crime and just uh, various uh, social issues. And as a result of that, a lot of the clients that I was working with at that time were facing crisis and issues. So that helped me develop a trauma-focused practice in my health. So when I was able now to go into private practice, the focus of my practice became, well, not initially. So I was lucky to get a contract by the Ministry of the Attorney General, working with the sector division. So what that means is I work with clients who are survivors of violence or who family survived their violence. So the clients that I'm now working with are trauma-focused clients who, for example, are to be explicit who their, their families probably survived their murder or they survived a vicious attack through a stabbing or to being shot. So a lot of the clients that I work mm-hmm. with are more trauma-focused clients. And as stated, uh, my background for 12 years, I've worked with a lot of those clients. So as a result of that, I was able to get a contract with the ministry to work with those clients. So as a result of the work that I did in the past, coupled with uh, my practice in self-care through my education and my own personal burnout, I'm able to administer strategies to my clients, which have been helpful um, at this point, but they continue to come to see me and their lives continue to be successful in the way of um, healthy coping mechanisms, but not necessarily, um, as we talked about, or as I mentioned earlier, um, there's a process of grief or loss, which looks at bargaining, denial, and, and acceptance. So just helping them come to a place where they're able to live and cope well enough to deal with their day-to-day activities of life uh, so that they're able to continue to work, to continue to provide for their family, continue to be healthy um, and understanding the reality of what this trauma and tragedy has brought to their life and just being able to cope with it. Um, they do still go through a lot of symptoms, but symptoms are reduced to understanding their own personal practices of self-care. And then I have a, a contract with um, an agency. A big part of my work was working with youths who are dual diagnosed, which means they have a mental health and a cognitive illness. So I need staff training and help staff understand the importance of in implementing a strategy and assessment that helps you to have a comprehensive educational uh, strategies that helps them to have academic success. It simply means earning credits, and sometimes they need an educational plan that helps them. And in some cases, we may not understand their diagnosis, so just being able to understand what their diagnosis is saying to them 
so that we can understand how they learn so that we can administer healthy practices, which is, I would say, how do we administer self-care through education? So some of that is the work that I do. And then lastly, um, having a contract with what's called Tennis Canada, working in a, in a sports and academic program where I'm the academic lead working with youth in the classroom to administer healthy practices through self-care and education. And then we have a life coach at a tennis coach working with them on the court. So I've been lucky enough to land those three contracts, which really model a lot of the healthy practices and self-care practices that I'm trying to administer to my clients um, and to individuals to really learn themselves. So that's great work you've done there with your new practice. And how does it feel to be, to be able to become powerful for yourself, powerful again in your role and in, in your contribution and, that, and make such a contribution to society? How does it feel for you? I would say it's absolutely rewarding. I would say, I mean, a lot of people remind me that I've done the work, but I feel blessed in knowing that people continue to trust my practice and, and my approach in my practice. And I think one of the things that really helped me to this point As I mentioned earlier, um, the support that I've gotten through my partner and the support that I've gotten through my cousin. And I can honestly say this is in reading Bonnie Ware's book, um, not living a life of my own and not wanting to continue just to work nine to five, but wanting to impart, as you mentioned, you know, something that I believe that I believe in on my mark on the world was important. So just having the courage to step away from a sustainable job. And I can tell you that this is, when I made this choice, I had a unanimous support from friends, families, coworkers that just believed that I was would be able to carry this out. And now that, you know, three years in and I've landed these contracts and I continue to have work and make my life sustainable, I feel like, I feel like I'm on the top of the world, to be very honest. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, yeah, yeah, I feel very good. And I just feel like, um, I made a calculated risk, and I think um, I'm seeing the reward of it. And I really believe that I've invested in myself through my life experience and through my education. And this, again, obviously through the support that I've gotten through people. And then I would say having a platform that you've given me today to share my story. So these blessings come in, in different ways. Like I'm in Canada, you're in the Netherlands, so it's just like, how did we make this con uh, connection? So I just think God has a really unique way of letting things happen. So I'm grateful in, in you in helping me to give me this opportunity to, to, to share my story and to impart my life experience and my knowledge um, to the people and to your audience. So I'm truly grateful. And I think this is another sign that I'm, uh, I've made a good choice. Thank you, Greg. Yeah, I think that is a good sign that you've, you've made a good choice. And you're helping a lot of people also today with your stories. And, and your customers, you learn them about specific habits, right? Uh, uh, how to uh, implement the self-care practice every day. So can you learn our listeners or can you give uh, uh, some recommendations how you manage to turn wishes into habits? Because this is something a lot of people struggle with, that you would like to do something, but how to sustain that, how to make it into well, a habit. That I developed. If you go to my website, one of the things that I say is, is, is I developed this word called livement. And livement to me is a complement to retirement. So retirement, the understanding of retirement is to stop, to cease. Like, so that means you would have stopped doing what you're doing in your career path. Where livement um, is a word that I came up with. And livement means live while you're living. 
taking action while you're living. So to me, while you have breath, you can make choices. If I was going to impart some knowledge um, to your clients, if, I would say if you have something you love, let that be the thing that you try to use to administer the wellness in your life. If you've always had an interest or a hobby, get back to it. Because one of the things that I believe in is sometimes we can make our hobbies our lifestyle. And I was lucky. One of the things that I didn't mention is that I actually got a basketball scholarship. So I've always been pretty athletic. I've always had a love for school and just being able to kind of understand knowledge in the way that I wanted to impart it. So I'm a avid reader. Really developing yourself part-time, I would say. But as you're doing it part-time, your hobbies could actually be your lifestyle. So there's either you use it to um, develop your career path or you use it as a way to make um, make make it be something that you cope. But then going back to the mantra of live while you're living, as long as you have breath, you have choices. So just being able to administer these choices in your life part-time until they could be full-time. Because when I left my job, and I was in a very sustainable job, but I knew that I wasn't happy. I knew that I wasn't, work wasn't giving me the energy that it used to. And I knew I wanted to do something different. So I planned to quit my job. And I planned to quit my job over a five-year period, going back to school first to get my undergrad. And then being able to, when going back to school, I developed, I was able to stumble on Bonnie Burr's book, I regret the dying, and that made me realize I did not want to, for example, on my deathbed and have all these regrets. So I decided I wanted to take action in my life and make different choices. And I think reading that book really had a huge impact on me because it made me realize that when we, between life and death, we have this void to fill. And for me, I wanted to fill this void in the way of making choices for myself that led to my pursuit of happiness. I know that, and I know and I understand that this may not be the given choice for everyone because they're so attached to their responsibility. But if sometimes your responsibilities are those things that are killing you, then we need to make healthy choices. For me, I, w- I was determined yeah. to make a life that was my own, which is one of the things that she talked about. But she talks about people who had very sustainable jobs, people who had great careers, but not necessarily being happy. So for me, I wanted to be happy mm-hmm. in what I was doing. So I think you can literally, your audience, you could literally go online and you could find a self-care assessment and ask yourself some of these questions. And if your self-care questions, assessment sorry, is telling you, giving you answers to some of these things you already know, I think that could be your first step in making some healthy choices. And then as you start to administer these healthy choices into your life, you'll realize, you know what? I'm actually feeling more better. One, because you have made a, a definite choice in, uh, in in changing and you're making the steps. And why I say to do it part-time is I needed to go back to school for me in my career path that I chose. Um, but for you, it could just be maybe I could earn $20,000 less and be far more happy. For you, it could mean I could travel, I don't have to travel as far and be happier. So those choices are not necessarily career-driven. They could be lifestyle-driven. So you really have to examine what your self-care package looks like and making some decisions around the way you think, which is, I think, one of the biggest things that impacts us. And looking at are we being fatigued by some of the things that we're doing? Are we taking on uh, vicarious trauma? 
do our work. The transfer is like taking on to it, um, too much emotion in the things that I'm doing. And like thinking about the choices that you need to make. And some of those choices could be, I need to eat better. I need more physical fitness to improve my immunity. I need to re reduce my stress. I need to improve my time management. I need sometimes just to relax because I realize that I'm so tense. And I need to avoid some of the things that are impacting me. So I need to be more mindful. And I think one of the most difficult things for people is being able to be assertive. One of the things that I teach my clients in my practice is really say no. So I know that I've given and a lot of suggestions, but it really comes back to understanding yourself, understanding your body, and knowing when your body's talking to you, because sometimes you know, ways and we do have those symptoms that are letting us know that we don't feel as fortified as we normally do. And I think those are some of the easy signs in knowing that. Greg, if you could send out a notification to everyone on the globe experienced with burnout, what few words or sentences would it say? It would say, healthy mind, healthy body, happier you, which is my tagline. So I think, <laughs> I think really, because honestly, it sometimes our worst enemy just because of how negative and how cynical we are, that we feed our mind. So the more aware we are, the that we have ourselves can lead to our, our, our better health. And physics. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a nice one. Really, is my And earlier, when I started talking to you, I had mentioned when we were off here that sometimes our mess is our message. So sometimes, I, for me, I realized my burnout, but the experience that I've had with anxiety, I was willing to share that because there are individuals that say that experience signs of mental health, but we're not willing to share that because someone's going to say, "Oh my God, I always knew something was wrong with him." But being able to create a platform that helps people understand some mental health is normalized and we are open. And if we're willing to share that, we could be that saving voice or that, that medium for someone that needed to say that. Oh my God, I didn't really realize that he experienced that. So I think for me, this is my message. And I just want to be uh, the voice for the people, to the people that uh, have some understand that some of my experiences, my experiences can be helpful to them. Yeah, it's, an, it's very good. Uh, before we wrap it up, just one question on Canada itself, because I always like to ask this question, but what would be a method to recover from burnout specifically or originating from your country, Canada? Well, Every country has its own way of dealing with this. Is there a specific one for Canada? I would say well? Canada, one of the things that benefits all Canadians is the healthcare system. And I think that through my job, I was lucky to have benefits that paid for the to use um, your healthcare system if there's one that's, that's free and that's important. And Canada prides itself on its healthcare system and its multiculturalism. So just being able to have different avenues to be able to tap into health. So maybe the healthcare practice may not come from your culture, but you could dive into the multiculturalism of the Canadian society to realize, oh, um, this is something that I didn't realize. So for example, there's different yoga practices. There's Tai Chi. Qigong, right? So realizing maybe one of those practices from a different culture may be beneficial for you. So just really learning that really there the only difference is diversity is not really understanding that there is no. That's really nice that Canada is, is doing that. So that the system and the multi multicultural <laughs> aspect with so many ways that you can benefit from. And it's good that you were able to get the help <laughs> you needed. 
Well, Greg, um, I think your stories were, were very, very inspirational for our listeners. You've delivered a lot of takeaways, um, like your your story on energy currency with depleting the energy and refueling, but also on the, the, the livement versus retirement, <laughs> live while you're living. And uh, especially also the uh, the importance of self-care. I think that's... Uh, uh, very good for our listeners to to keep in mind that it's you have to take care of yourself, and when that's when that's taken care of properly, then you're also able to take care of others in a good way without leaving without leaving yourself drained every day. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Yeah, so thank you very much. Any um, closing thoughts you'd like thank to share with our listeners? To me and I hope some part of my story is inspirational to you, um, and if it is. Maybe in a year, a couple months or two, there'll be a follow-up to that. This interview where your listeners kind of call in and there's some takeaway from what they thought from my story. And I think for me, that would be a huge sign of, you know what, there were some gems that were shared with the audience that I identified with. For me, um, just being, again, wanting to share my story. And I would say thank you. Uh, well said. And how can people best reach you or learn more about the Educare Self-Care Studio? Go to my website at uh, educarecelfcare.com. Or they could um, follow up. Um, a lot of people are now on social media. They could visit my social media um, Instagram, which is educator.s.s, and they could find me there. They could also find me on LinkedIn through my name, Gregory Leslie. So there's a few platforms that um, if they wanted to email me, they could email me at gnl at educarecelfcarestudio.com. So this is very nice and they can also go to my website, which is a link. That's uh, that's good. I will definitely link out to your website and also all your profiles and email on the show notes page to make sure our listeners are able to find you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us and have a great day. Thank you. Head over to burnoutpower.com for the show notes with key takeaways and all the links. So, burnoutpower.com and easily find yours by searching on episode number or the name of our guest for my next episode i have a few amazing guests lined up for you to grab their powerful insights as well please tune in to get notified make sure you click on that follow or subscribe button and you're set to move you away from your burnout history speak to you next time bye for now